Man, if you got your Bibles, turn with me to John 16. We've been working through the Gospel of John. If you're our guest, it's one thing you can know. Even if this sermon is about to bomb, got to sing about the resurrected Jesus, you get to celebrate communion at the end of the service. We do that every week here. If you're our guest, welcome. This is part of what we do. We respond to the message you're about to hear. We do that through worship. We do it through giving. We do it through communion at the end of the service. A couple of other things as you find your place, as you find chapter 16 and verse 16. We're going to have a members meeting right after the worship service. Um, if you're our guest, you're welcome to stay. We're not making any big decisions. We're just getting some updates about some vision and some things coming up for the future. I had a really good time this week. We had um, the Kings Mountain sponsor to the local police national night out, and uh, we got to be involved with that with the city and just hang out with people. If We've been talking a lot about hospitality, and if you're not sure what that looks like or where to begin, I would invite you just to join in some of these corporate experiences that we have. We've got Summer Bash coming up on the 20th and the 21st. We're just going to be out there with the city, helping them love it on people. We have good conversations with people. That's part of our vision and purpose as a church. We invite you to be a part of that. It has everything to do with our joy this morning. And so let us join with the disciples. We've been with them. Stand with me to your, to your feet. I'm not going to read the whole section this morning. I'm just going to read a little bit just to get our bearings. Remember, we are in the upper room discourse. The cross is just a matter of, of just around the corner. Jesus can see the cross as it is. He knows it's coming. The disciples are beginning to understand that their expectations are not going to be met. They're scared. They're confused. And Jesus is in full teaching mode here. Look with me at verse 20. He said, Truly and truly I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of my Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Now look down at verse 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Amen. Let's pray. And so, Lord, we are all standing here in different places today, both physically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. Some of us are full to the brim. We have had a week of, of blessings and goodness, and some of us could barely get out of bed this morning. And you have something for us today. And so we come as your people. To this we call corporate worship. We're God's people no matter how we feel. And no matter what we've been through this week. We have come today Lord to worship you. To hear from you. To receive of your grace. 
And so we are here with our empty hands open, Lord. Feel our very souls. Comfort our minds. Give us this joy and peace that comes through peace with you and knowing you and enjoying you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So if you remember last week at the towards the sort of the end of the sermon, I mentioned joy. I was setting you up for this week's sermon. I, I talked about a pastor that I heard preach on the radio that had said, among other things, that joy is a choice. It's a choice. And I hoped you began in your mind to put that in somewhat tension. Okay, what? What do you mean by that? I hope you thought of Galatians 5. You could find that in your book, Bible. We're going, we're going here. We're going there. Love is more than a choice. It's not less. So let's look at what the Bible says, because ultimately that's what matters. Galatians 5, we know this. Look at verse 22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So let me replace joy with something else. Is goodness a choice? Uh, Look at the list. Is kindness a choice? Is self-control a choice? Can you you be healthy by laying on the couch and saying, you know, I'm going to get, it's just going to happen. Is gentleness a choice? And yet at the same time, look at what it says. And yet we read this, these are firstly, chiefly, fruits of the Spirit. So how exactly does that work? If you back up a little bit, a couple of verses, you could just look at verse 21, for an, just for an example. Envy, drunkenness, orgies alike. People who live this pattern of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a promise. So we can ask it that way. Is drunkenness a choice? Is envy a choice? In other words, the core question is where are these things ultimately coming from? Is there something going on deeper than just my mind choosing? I love this. This was in the Gospel Transformation Bible. Quote, The fruit of the Spirit is not a checklist to work through, but the unified blossoming of the heart liberated by the gospel of grace. Like that. I was like, man, I wish I'd have said that. The fruit of the Spirit is not a checklist to work through, but a unified blossoming of the heart liberated by the gospel of grace. There is something that the Spirit does in us that sets us free to do this and to set these other things as enemies of the kingdom. You don't do that. The Spirit does that. But here's the truth. If we could all be honest. My joy ebbs and flows. My peace ebbs and flows, doesn't it? I mean, can't we be honest? That some days I have more patience than others. And yet, this are, these are fruits of the Spirit. And yet, when Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, he warns them, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Which means, you can quench the Holy Spirit. By what we pursue or what we don't pursue. What we, what we add on or what we neglect. This is where the disciples are. This is where they're going to be. This is where most of us are this morning. 
So we're promised some things in the text today. He's comforting the disciples. He promised a spirit-given, immovable joy that comes through their reconciliation in Christ. But we've got to understand a few things this morning. We've got to understand there's some enemies to your joy. And there's no way we could be exhaustive in this list. I just want to look at some of this, this in the text today. There's enemies of our joy. But there's promises for our joy. And these we must cling to, especially when the sorrow comes. So let's look at some enemies of our spirit-given joy. You could even say this. They're enemies of your spiritual fruit. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean life has never been promised to be easy. Matter of fact, when you become a Christian, you gain enemies. And we have some enemies to our joy. The first one that, that I see in the text today is criticism. Look at verse 20. We're not going in order necessarily today. We're just going to jump around and look at some things. Verse 20. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will what? Rejoice. So that which makes you cry and weep, other people will be laughing at it. You will weep, the world will mock. He's already told us, you will love, the world will what? Hate. Every one of us, I'd imagine, if you're old enough to remember it, knows where you were when 9-11 happened. We just had three children then. We were up in the mountains attempting to fish. We went into a, to a service station to buy a fishing license, and there it was on the TV, and everybody in there was staring at the TV, and that's pretty much what we did the rest of the weekend. But isn't it... Just an example, if you watch the news. As our country wept and lamented, what did some other countries do? We celebrated. We celebrated. It's what's happening. It's going to happen at the cross. Do you remember Matthew 27? You know this. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and yet people are saying, you said you'd rebuild the temple in three days. Why don't you come off of there? The most religious people of the day was mocking He saved others. He can't even save himself. You come down off of there, we'll believe. Peter says that as believers, we're going to be scoffed at and mocked. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3, he's talking to the church now. He says, knowing first of all that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? In other words, they're just going to say, you keep saying Jesus is going to come back. People are just living and dying, living and dying, living and dying. He's not coming back. We're just going to live how we want to live. Let's eat, drink, and be merry. We're going to die anyway. They're going to mock. It's the first enemy of your joys. It's criticism. It's going to come in your life. It's going to come as a Christian. And it's not going to look the same in each other's life. There's another one. There's loneliness. This is a big one. Look at verse 32. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet, I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I love that because you not only see the enemy, but you see Jesus fighting the enemy, don't you? In 24 hours, 
Jesus would be unavailable to the disciples. They couldn't go to him and say, Jesus, what about this? What about that? What should I say? What should we do? Because he's going to be dead. Unable to view his body in a borrowed tomb with a rock on top of it. Guarded. And yet, look at the text. And honestly, you know, you read the Bible a hundred thousand times. You never, you see something new every time you read it. I never noticed they would be scattered each to his own home. These men who were inseparable with Jesus and inseparable from each other would just in a matter of hours be in their own homes, isolated, alone, scared, confused. And Jesus said, they're going to leave me alone. And yet he gave them the remedy, didn't he? How did he battle loneliness with the faithful presence of his Father? By the way, Sidebar, that's what made the cross so hard when his father turned his back. He told the disciples, you fight it the same way. The the way we fight is with the presence of the father. John 14 verse 18, he's already taught them this. Promise, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. These are enemies of our joy. These make our joy ebb and flow. Criticism, loneliness, and this was huge in their life at this point. It's huge in most of our lives. Grief. Grief. He's already said that in verse 6 of chapter 16. Sorrow has filled your heart. Remember we talked about that? They were overwhelmed with sorrow. They could not think of, of anything about the Lord for what they were worrying about how this was going to affect them. Look at verse 20. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You're going to be filled with sorrow. One of the just hardest to understand, and many of you may understand this firsthand, is people who came down with COVID and were quarantined. And Their families couldn't visit them. They couldn't see them. And then many of them died. And their family never got to speak to them. Never got to say goodbye. That is one of the hardest places of grief. That will cause you to get stuck in grief. In the spiritual mud of grief. It will quench the Spirit's work in your life. Because you can't move on. One of the greatest weapons against the enemy of our joy is gratefulness. In other words, when we are going through the necessary grief, as the Bible calls it, with hope, it is important just to be able to sit around and, and talk about that person that you've lost. You know, why that, you know why that is? You know what you're doing when you allow yourself with somebody else and just somebody that's a good listener just to talk about those people that you lost? You're, you're allowing yourself to remember the grace The grace that was given to us to have this person in our life. Gratefulness is a great weapon. But grief is something that affects our joy. But you know what is underneath all of these? Most of these motivating them is fear. Fear. In John 14 verse 1, he had to tell the disciples, Don't let your heart be troubled. 
You know what that word means? It means they were in mental distress. If they would have went to the doctor and told them what they were going, he would have prescribed them some medicine probably in our day. They were in mental distress. What is driving verse 32 in chapter 16? Well, you will be scattered each to his own homes and leave him alone. What is behind that? Yes, loneliness was the came from that. But fear was what was driving it. Listen, there is nothing that is quenching your joy and mine today or that we'll struggle with tomorrow more than fear. Fear of man. We are almost by our nature men pleasers. We want to please somebody. Either the world or somebody that we greatly respect. We're afraid of people. We're afraid of failure. We're afraid of being alone. We're afraid of death. And for many of us, we're afraid to live. Either because of somebody who hovered over you all your life. So let's look at some promises. Some promises of our spirit-given joy. (laughs) This first one starts out sort of sober but ends up in joy. That's the point. First promise. Look at verse 20 and 21. Joy is often preceded by times of sorrow. You could say it this way. This is not simply a promise. It is a principle of life. Sorrow, then joy. Was it Office Depot or Office Max? You used to have that easy button, you know. Everybody wished they could have just, boy, once you have one of those. There's no easy button that will skip the sorrow, will skip the tribulation. To underline this principle, look at verse 21. He gives us this analogy of childbirth. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish. For the joy that a human being has been born into the world. This is the analogy to help us understand the reality of the life that you're living now, the reality of the life I'm living now. Our greatest joys in life come through hardness, hard times and sadness and sorrow. There's no way to skip it. And nor can I promise you that if you do X, Y, and Z, you can skip it in your life. There's no promise. I can't give that to you this morning because the Bible doesn't. Mary's pain in childbirth... Brought us Jesus, God, with us. The pain of the cross brought life. There is no life without death. The disciples had to watch the anguish of Jesus on the cross. Watch Him beaten and bloodied and bruised and mocked. Hanging lifeless on the cross. That had to happen or we could not be saved. It's the principle of life that we learn from the cross. And yet we also learn that in the midst of the sorrow is often confusion. You you can't see the joy when you're in the sorrow sometimes. You can't see it. If you haven't been brought to it by faith first, sometimes even though we have, we're oftentimes confused. Do you remember the two men on the road to Emmaus? The resurrected Jesus comes up to them. They don't recognize Him. What did they say? Do you remember? Good to see them all. 
We had hoped. We had hoped that he was going to redeem Israel. This was where the disciples were. When Jesus was in the grave, they were hopeless and confused. So I hope you're getting this because if you were listening to the music today, we set you up for it. There is transformation that comes only through the resurrection. It's why you've been singing about He lives. He lives. You see, without the resurrection, there's no joy in the cross. This is why as Protestants, we don't have a cross with Jesus on it. Because we have a resurrection. We can sing. That's what we've been doing this morning. We've been singing about the cross. Christians gather together and we celebrate the cross. How can we celebrate the cross? Because there is a resurrection. There is a resurrection. He lives is why we can face tomorrow. That's what's going to turn the sorrow into joy. And that's the reason that nobody can take it away. Nobody can take away a Christian's joy no more than they can kill the resurrected king. It's ours in Him. They felt it, but it would turn. This is why when you read the Bible in the New Testament, you read Paul, he's always talking about this. I will know nothing. I will preach nothing except the cross. If I would boast in anything, it's going to be the cross. Peter says, we'll talked about the precious blood of Christ. How could God's blood, Christ's blood be precious if He is not risen? But He is. John records that in the end, we will stand and say, Worthy are you, for you were slain. We worship Him, not because He's dead, but because He lives. That's what we're saying. Sorrow and confusion will give way to transformation. And listen, restoration. Restoration. Here's, way, here's this hope He's given them. These scared, confused, troubled, I don't, we don't get what's happening here. In verse 16, he says, a little while you won't see me, but a little while you will see me. They didn't understand. Do you remember? It's like, I don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean? They were confused, but he promised, you will see me again. Listen, brothers and sisters, this is the promise that he's given all of us today. And so let's celebrate that. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It troubles me oftentimes as you find verse 13 that we as Christians argue about so many things including the way the end times are going to unfold. Brothers and sisters, every single believer on earth should celebrate. This is the promise we have. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep or those who are dead. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus will bring him those who have fallen asleep. Verse 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from a cry with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. 
Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with Him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so will we always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is how He comforted the disciples. And this is how He comforts all children of God. You will be restored to my very presence. So, joy, you see, is resilient in times of trouble because of this. Because our Lord is alive. Verse 22. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice. Listen to the promise. And no one will take your joy from you. Now you need to remember, brothers and sisters, that all of these men, save one, will die as a martyr, and he most likely was boiled in oil and spent his life as an outcast on the Isle of Patmos. Yet, the Lord's promises are true. No one will be able to take a joy from you. We have enemies of our joy. We can do things that diminish our joy. Relationships bring me joy. Work brings me joy. Hobbies bring me joy. Good health can bring me joy. I thought about that. That's like putting all your life savings in a piggy bank, putting them in a room of four-year-olds, all of them have hammers, and think your piggy bank's not going to get broken. You know, that thing's not going to get broken. Your money's going to be used for airplanes and right on everything else, right? Put your joy in the temporal. This is the point this morning. Abiding joy can only come in by pursuing that which is eternal. Because if we can have that which is eternal, nobody can take it away. Because it's rooted in the eternal. That is our resurrected Lord. It is resilient. We can even call this abiding joy bulletproof. It's God with us, the hope of glory. One day, this is true of all of us if the Lord doesn't come back. We will leave our physical bodies. Yes, you will if you're 18 or 20 or 30 and you haven't ever thought about it before in your life. This is just reality. One day you're going to go to a funeral and it's going to hit you. One day that's going to be me sitting laying up there in that box. We will leave our bodies. Here's the promise. Christ will never leave us. Just sort of personal and I don't really know how to explain it. I do my best. I've had a lot of close calls in my life. You live long enough, you have those. Rode a motorcycle most of my life. Had a lot of close calls on my motorcycle. Sometimes when I was young, I was places I shouldn't have been. Had some close calls there too. But for some, some weeks ago, I had never been at a place where death was so close to me. And I can't explain it on the inside. But many of you have experienced it, and some of you have sat beside those that you love that were going through it. And so this verse is precious. John chapter 11 and verse 25 is true. It's just what nobody can take away from us. No matter where we're going through, where the bed that we're laying in this morning, we're praying for those even in our family members right now that are laying in beds. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, 
Though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And the most important question of your life this morning is, do you believe this? Do you believe this? This is the joy that he gives that no one can take away. The resurrection changed everything. It gave them a security. They, they don't understand it now, but they will. And here's what he's, another thing that he's teaching them today. Joy is fueled by our spiritual devotion. Now, if you've got a pen, you can even make that easier to understand. I wish I would have known sometimes... I could change, I would be changing words in your notes till, you know, Sunday morning if I had the chance, you know. Joy is fueled by your worship. It's fueled by your worship. It's why you're here today. It's why you got to gather both corporately and individually with each other. It is why Romans 12 says all of life is worship. It's fueled by your worship fuels your joy. Look at verse 23. It says, In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, He will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Why does... My spiritual fruit, my spiritual life, ebb and flow. Why is sometimes I have a lot of joy and sometimes I barely have any? I had a couple of illustrations. This one's freshest on my mind. Friday we went to a pond and a couple of the guys and was fishing. And I noticed, Mike, the pond was low, right? Probably a, maybe a couple feet, right? From the last time I was there. But the pond wasn't dry. So why does that pond not go dry? Because it has two sources. Two sources. It has a dam upstream. It has a stream that feeds it. And it has the rain. And when the rain slows down, the pond gets low. It doesn't run dry. Brothers and sisters, our life is like that pond. It is like a well that's dug deep. And there's two sources. There's the rain of God's grace. And there is the spring of God's spirit. And God's grace pours. And sometimes it trickles. But here's what he's promised us. The spring will never run dry. Sometimes this is just true, brothers and sisters. Sometimes your well has, is running over because of God's grace. And it flow runs over, fills up the well, runs on the ground. Sometimes we look down in the well and say, where's the water? This is what he's promising. I will dig your well deep and my spirit will be its source. And so this is why he said, Paul told Timothy, a pastor, then even though sometimes when we are faithless, God remains faithful because He cannot deny Himself. It's good news, brothers and sisters, that even though the well of your life might be, might be shallow, it will not run dry. 
Because our hope is rooted in the resurrected Lord. Instead, here's what I want you to see. He directs them towards prayer. He directs them towards prayer. Of all the things. And this keeps coming up. If you go back and read the upper room, he keeps talking about you need to pray, you need to ask, you need going to receive. Because there's one thing that's never going to change. Life is going to change. Sometimes it's going to be hard. Sometimes it's going to be glorious. But worship, brothers and sisters, is always going to should be applied in your life. It must always be first. Why? Because our spiritual worship, our spiritual devotion brings the rain. It brings the rain. Here's what he said. Here's what he's saying. Pray. I'm not going to be there. Jesus, I'm not going to be there. But your spirit, I'm going to be there with the spirit. You can pray directly to the Father now. So if you need something, your Father's God, ask Him. Seek first the kingdom and ask. Not these piddly prayers about thank you for my day. Ask Him something that only God can do. Kingdom prayers. Dependent prayers. Why? Because the text is telling us it is that that brings overflowing joy. There is nothing that brings joy. More than answered prayer. I had a guy I've been praying for I don't know how long. Called me out of the blue last week. He don't know I've been praying for him. Could there be anything, any other phone call that I got all week that made me more happy than that guy calling me? Why? Because I had been praying for it. The pathway to joy is spiritual devotion because it brings the reign of God's grace. That's why Jesus said in chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. James 1.27 puts it this way. True devotion to God looks like taking care of the powerless and being like Christ. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Take care of the widows and the orphans. Keep yourself unspotted from the world. That's worship. That's worship. And if you neglect that, though you come to church every Sunday, you could be not worshiping God at all. William Carey, one of our missionaries, was speaking about in the context of prayer. And in the context of prayer, he said this, Expect great things from God. Attempt great things from God. For God. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. I brought this book just so you could see it. If you've never read through this book as a Christian, you should. It's called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. Written by a guy named Donald Whitney. Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. We pursue the spiritual disciplines, our spiritual devotion. Because it increases the fruit of the Spirit. The promise of abiding joy, ultimately, brothers and sisters, is rooted in our peace with God. Sorrow before joy is just the principle of life. Your joy is ultimately promised because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
that one day our joy will be full because he will come and get us. But in the heart of life today, if you can't remember anything else, remember this. I have peace with God through Jesus Christ my Lord. Look at verse 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation but take heart. I have overcome the world. So peace and joy then are two sides of the same coin. You can't have joy if you do not have peace with God. And no one is born having peace with God. We are born at enmity with God because of our sin. Inner peace is conditional. It is conditional through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's no other way to have peace. That's why he's given us this illustration that Christians are connected as a branch is connected to the vine. Because we get our spiritual nourishment through our connection with Him. Our peace with God feeds our joy. Our spiritual worship brings the reign of God's grace. The result is overflowing joy. But we all appreciate verse 33 because it's true. It gives us both a reality and a promise. The reality is what? tribulation right it's 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 that promise is just as true as the fact that we have overcome this i thought this was interesting the word tribulation comes from a latin word that describes a tool called a flail that was used to separate the wheat from the chaff so you remember that jesus was talking about that tribulation is that which reveals our faith, that tests our faith, and that strengthens our faith. We're going to have that. Can't get around that. But peace comes through overcoming. Jesus overcame the world. This is not a gospel of think better thoughts about yourself. You can do it. It's not about, what is that, Thomas to train. You know, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. No, this is the fact of what Jesus did. What Jesus did. Listen to what Paul says. Romans 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? It is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded Sheep to be slaughtered. You can almost hear the people of God lamenting and even maybe whining a little bit. It's hard, God. Here's what he's saying. Verse 37. No! In all these things, through all these things, and sometimes precisely because of these things, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. There is one thing that never changes in your life. The love of God in Jesus Christ. Lamentations 3.22 says this. The steadfast of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 
The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. John explains it in his epistle, 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, this way. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Your faith. So you see, there's two things in life that people can't take away. The love of God in Jesus Christ and the faith that he has given you. And in that, we can and will overcome. So what today? So what today? Here's just a question, and I think we know the answer to this. (laughs) What did Jesus do for the joy that was set before him? What did he do? Precisely because of the joy, because of the promise that he had. We're going to talk about that promise starting next week. Well, we know it's Hebrews 12, right? Verse 2. For the joy that was before him, he endured what? The cross. Despised the shame. Seated at the right hand of glory. He went through the cross. He provided our redemption for the joy set before him. So this is the question for us. What will we do for the joy set before us? It's set. Your joy, your future joy is just as set as Jesus' was. Amen? We're in Him. And yet, what often time is we are fighting against this morning is what diminishes your joy oftentimes is, is either looking backwards are looking inwards. We are looking backwards in the past, thinking, how could God ever use anybody like that? Or we're like the disciples who were saying, woe is me, poor is me, how could I? And just remember, your spiritual life is fed in two ways. The reign of God's grace and the spring of God's spirit. And our spiritual devotion Brings the rain. I experienced this. Micah did too. Went out with Miss Teresa this week. Been since my heart attack. I hadn't been able to get out. I was able to get out. And we went and looked for a, bro- a man that we haven't seen in several months. And He had shriveled up since Mike and I saw him last. Probably lost 10 to 20 pounds. I don't know. He was just thin. Alcohol and drugs and all the like. He came up to us and we were talking to him and he started complaining about his feet hurting. And so Miss Teresa told him to come around the side of the building where there wasn't a lot of people. We took his shoes off. And his socks had been on his feet so long they had adhered to his feet. So we took some water and some lotion. And she washed his feet and put lotion on his feet. He put a New socks, some of the socks that you donated. We put them on his feet. And we loved him. So let me ask you something. 
When I shared the gospel with him, do you think he listened? You bet he did. Why? Because I loved him. There was a sorrow. There was a joy. And it's hard to explain. When we do these kinds of things that no one can ever pay us back for, we experience God's grace in our own life as we demonstrate God's grace in somebody else's. This is how you jump into the river of God's grace. In simple little ways, don't overthink it. God has given us the great commission and He has given us the great commandment. Embrace them. And what you'll find is your well is more full when you embrace them than if you wouldn't have. What is the joy set before us? Well, let me just read it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50 says this. This is the joy. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all asleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass, saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So I'd ask the praise team. Y'all go ahead and come up. Y'all go ahead and come up. And as the praise team comes up, everybody turn to Jude. Jude, it's the, it's the second to the last book in your Bible. It maybe, maybe it's one page, maybe two pages in your Bible. Jude. And find verses 24. This will be our our closing prayer, our invitation to respond both in worship, in communion, in giving, and in going. Jude 24. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy, To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, and dominion, and authority before all times, and now and forever. Amen.